Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast. My name is Delton. I'll be your host this evening, and with me today, as usual, is my lovely wife, Haley. I am lovely. So is Delton. This is a podcast all about board games, tabletop games, card games, role-playing games, and things of the sort. This is episode number 43, which means we are approaching 50 pretty quickly. Oh, man, what are we going to do for episode 50? I don't know yet. I'm still trying to figure that out. And sooner or later, I'll have a good idea. Okay, I'm ready. Luckily, since we only put episodes out every two weeks, then it makes it a little bit easier to prepare for things. Yeah, we've got a good three months to prepare. That's basically it. So we've had a wild week. It's been kind of crazy. We had Delton's 28th birthday. Woo! He's an old man now. I'm old and my knees pop a lot. A lot. Pop it like it's hot. That's horrible, but okay. We also had our fake anniversary, is what I call it. <laughs> it's a fake anniversary. Fake anniversary. Uh, basically, which I don't. I think we've told this story on the podcast, but we eloped at Voodoo Donut in Denver on March thirteenth in twenty fifteen, and Haley's parents were not too uh, happy with that. So we also had a full wedding ceremony and reception. On June 26th of 2015. Yeah, my grandparents don't know what a podcast is, and they're basically the only people we are hiding this information from, so we feel comfortable enough to release this onto the air. And the thing is, it's not just the grandparents, though. It's anybody who would tell the grandparents. Right, so like Which means like cousins and uncles and aunts. Aunts, uh, yeah. Those people do not know that we got fake married back in March of- Real married. Real married. March was the real legal... March was the real legal wedding. Yep. Our wedding license says Voodoo Donut Shop, Denver. Yep. It was a good day. And so this week, we always try to keep up appearances, but I did a really bad job this year. So every time our fake anniversary rolls around, we do a cheesy Facebook post, like all the kids these days are supposed to do. And then we try not to post on our actual anniversary when we really go out and celebrate. But the good news is I get presents for both. Yeah, we still do gifts for both because it's funny. And then we have more to post about like, oh, for our anniversary, we got some games to play, which is what I did. I got pit and I got wine and I got, what's it called? Sunset over water. Sunset over water. And Delton got. I got it. What? Oh, my books. Yeah, your books. Oh. <laughs> you sound so disappointed. No, I was trying to think about what was an anniversary, quote unquote, gift for the, the fake anniversary. Haley got me. I've been reading Attack on Titan and watching the anime. And Haley got me the first three books in the spinoff Attack on Titan before the fall. So that way I can give those a shot. And then if I want to keep reading them, I can always get more. And I know right where to find them because they had one through like 24. Jeez, there's 24 of those? I believe so. There's only like 28 of the actual original manga right now. There's a lot of this one, man. That's crazy. And there's like three or four other spinoffs on top of that as well. But that's our anniversary stuff. Uh, For my birthday in terms of games, we bought startups because I had a coupon at PB&J. And then Haley got me Insider. Both of those are Oink games. And I'm super excited about those. But Insider takes four people, I think. Mm -hmm. So we've got a somehow get four people together soon <laughs> or two hey, other Mac people and Cass. exactly we need to get uh jessica to come with brian next time or something and then zach and sarah got me a gift card to the board game geek store where i got some bit bowls that i've been eyeballing for quite a while now and haven't actually pulled the trigger on so i got five bit bowls and then i'm trying out their little card holder that holds like your tokens and resources and your cards And uh, they're awesome quality, like fantastic quality, like a nice silicone. So I'm super stoked to give those a shot during a game. For your birthday, you got some bit bowls you can eyeball, and that's some Letterkenny level stuff right there. (laughs) We've also been watching Letterkenny on Hulu, which reminds us of home because of how hick the Canadian hicks are in that. Wish you weren't so friggin' awkward, bud. Exactly. It's a hard life. Picking stones and pulling teats, but as sure as God's got sandals, it beats fighting dudes with treasure trails. That's one of the best quotes from episode number one. Just so good. But he's right. It does beat fighting dudes with treasure trails. I've been there. I could see it. Yeah. I did also get my Kickstarter of PAX Pamir, second edition, in yesterday, which was Thursday uh, before this episode comes out. And super excited for that. I'll be 
posting some pictures of the inside components and goodies later on. I'm excited to play it too. I'm ready to see how, I know it's historically accurate. I'm ready to look at it and I'm ready to hopefully learn from it. I hope that it is approached in a non-white person way. From everything I've read, they did a very good job. I guess we'll see. But we'll see. From what I've read and what I've seen, I'm very pleased with the way and the care they've taken to approach it. I'm always a little skeptical of individuals from the non-minority race making board games of minority cultures and everything. Yeah. Because what tends to happen is a different side of the story is told. Yay, bias. Yay, bias. <laughs> and so I'm really, I, Dalton said that this game was very much researched and the culture and the region was respected and both sides were shown in respectful ways and not just caricatures of their whatever. And so I'm really hoping that this turned out as good as what I'm hoping it will. Well, we'll open the box tonight and take a look at some of the stuff and we'll see what you think on that alone. Let's take a gander. We will do it. I've been in my new job officially for two weeks now. Got my full caseload, ready to rock and roll. And I thought we'd play a little game inspired by my group therapy session today. What's the game? So when I do group therapies, I typically do some sort of icebreaker or rapport building game, so on and so forth at the beginning of the session. And this week, the theme was not lying to our parents. And so we did two truths and a lie to get to know each other. And so, Delton, I figured you and I could do two truths and a lie to each other to see if after four years of fake marriage, we could guess each other's lies. Real and fake. Real and fake. And then after that, we'll present two truths and a lie to you, our lovely listeners, to see if you could guess what our lie is. I think that's good. Do you want to do the first two truths and a lie? I do. Let me pull up my handy dandy telephone here where I have saved them. I've saved them. All right, Delton, are you ready? Okay, I won't look at you. That way I don't get visual cues. My baptismal name is Nicolette. I once had a pet chicken named Beethoven. By the age of six, I could count back change. Pet chicken named Beethoven's the lie. Why is that a lie? Because I know for a fact you can count back change at six, and I also have heard you say for a fact that Nicolette was your baptismal name. That is correct. Bam! I did have a pet chicken, though. I know you did, but I did not remember Beethoven. I named him Bachtoven. Ah, that's what it was. Because he made little chicken noises and because I was dumb. He balked. He balked. Oh, that's awesome. So good job, Delton. Could he bock, bock, bock it up? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The look on Amy's face was priceless. Oh, that was also really dumb on my part. It's fine. It's fine. Shit, it's fine. Okay. It's late in the evening. Yeah, it's like 10 o'clock on a Friday night. We're exhausted. I did an hour and a half of yard work. Well, it was about an hour of yard work. We did a lot of work, but uh, that was a weird-ass joke. I don't even know where that came but from. But it was pretty funny, right? <laughs> no! I just imagine a chicken walking around going, bark, 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 the way chickens do, and then just like walking backwards, and I'll say, hey, this is a song. Let's do it. Oh, oh, you get it? Back, now back, I back get it. it. Up. And it was bock, bock, bock it up. That was almost as bad as your Christopher Walken impression. <laughs> Butternut squash. So, have we told, we've told the story. We've told the story. We? Okay, yeah, we've told the story. Butternut squash. We're like, Delton's trying to get me to guess his impression. The only thing he's saying <laughs> is butternut squash. I'm like, you got to say something else. And he just shrugs his shoulders and goes, butternut squash. <laughs> okay. All right, what's your two truths and a lie there, Delty Poo? Okay, so my... Two truths and a lie. Don't look at me for these because I'm so bad at hiding expressions. Okay. I'm going to look at your little, I don't know, John Snow there. Or my awesome little, John Th- Snow on little the throne. Zorro. And my Zorro from One Piece. So don't look at me. I'm not. I'm looking at your Zorro. Okay. There's one lie and two truths in these three statements. Okay. I once ate deviled ham with a fork on a plate. I once bit a worm in half and ate the worm. I once ate a unknown aged pretzel from under the couch. This is difficult. <laughs> I know you used to like pop roly polies like pills when you were a kid. I sure did. 
This all has to do with eating some very strange things. Yes, it does. I'm really concerned no matter what the truths or the lies are. I'm really concerned. <laughs> it's okay. So I'm going to say it's the worm. I think you would have told me if you ate a worm in half. You are correct. I ate the worm whole. I did not bite it in half. I was about to say, I think <laughs> you would have just eaten it whole. I ate a worm whole, and then I used to convince, I used to love deviled ham. I'd eat the crap out of some deviled ham. And I used to convince my friends I was eating cat food because you just dump it out of the little can onto a plate. Oh, my God. It's just this circle, and you just eat it with crackers. And then, uh, yeah, I one time found a pretzel and said, oh, well, and I ate it. it was Under pretty whose bad. couch? It was back in my parents' old house. At least your mom cleans regularly. It wasn't like your bachelor apartment. <laughs> but this was the old floor, so it wasn't like a nice new laminate wood floor that they had put in or yeah. the, the snap wood. It was like old wood that had been there since the place was built. So it was just kind of grody. Well, I guess after four and a half years of marriage, four years of fake marriage. We, we got it. We got it. S still. Still. <laughs> All right. Hey, I'll take it. All right, guys. Now we are each going to give you a set of two truths and a lie. Yes, we are. That you have to guess. So, my dear sweet listeners, two truths, one lie. Number one, my dad was a rodeo clown. Number two, my mom was a model. Number three, my grandpa was in the CIA. Specifically, maternal grandpa. All right, so for my two truths and a lie for you wonderful listeners, by the way, if you have an answer for this, tweet at us, Malthouse Games, just M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games, or send an email, contact at malthousegames.com. If you get them right, we will give you a shout out. We will totally shout you out. We'll say like the first five people to get it right. Yeah, that'd be a good one. First five people to get it right, we'll give you a shout out on the podcast. Boom, and we'll make it a good one. Uh, my two truths and a lie. I have drummed on television. I made it to the finals of a drum competition. I won a talent show with a drum solo. Those are my three for you to try to find the lie in there. Best of luck. So I think after talking about truths and lying, it's a good time to move to the game. Oh, here's the door. It's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. But first, we drink. Now, the beers got a little warm because Delt and I couldn't decide on what we were going to talk about today. <laughs> we had a hard time struggling with the topic after this game discussion, but I think we have found a nice middle ground and a place to, to balance out that we think are, is going to be productive and new for us. And plus, we get distracted by the cats whenever we're planning our sessions. Yes, we do. So it takes like an hour for us to be like, what are we going to talk about on the podcast today? <laughs> Look at the kitty! Right. So today... Uh, the beers that we have today were actually provided to us thanks to the wonderful Ben Canellis, who also happens to be the designer of the game we're talking about today, Three Laws of Robotics. So this first beer, he said, is his wife's favorite beer. It is from Sibling Revelry Brewing out of Westlake, Ohio. This is the Lavender Wit. On the back, it says, this one is a little different. Instead of bitter or malty, light or roasty, our lavender wit takes the flavor of a wheat body and tart spiciness of Belgian wit yeast and accents it with lavender, coriander, and orange peel. And it's cool because this can, uh, let me see, 4.2% alcohol by volume, 18, or sorry, 15 IBU, but it tells you it uses Saez hops, S-A-A-Z, it uses Pilsner malts, wheat malt, and raw wheat malt, and then it is spiced with lavender, coriander, and orange peel. Lovely. I love it when the cans put what they put in there because it helps you start to identify so then you don't just have me saying, this tastes like Fruit Loops. That's exactly it. This tastes like corn dogs. Ooh. It looks like Miller Lite. It is super bubbly, super golden. It has a very good color to it. Uh, mine got the bottom of the can, so it's a little hazier than Haley's. But it's got a very, very light color. Definitely I, smell the lavender. There's a lot of lavender in that, which is very strange. Hmm. Haley, I'll let you get the first taste. Go ahead and take a sip and let me know what you think. How is that? It's like you carbonated lavender tea. Wow, that's a lot of lavender. Ooh, the coriander's nice. Ooh, the orange peel comes after. We're going to sleep well tonight. <laughs> is it lavender? It's in like the baby's after bath yeah. lotion that makes them go snooze. Yeah, lavender's the one that you like, one of the few 
sense of like one of the few things that just the scent alone actually does have a little bit of like a physiological response from your body. This is fantastic. We're going to sleep very well. I could see. Now, Ben said he did not like this beer. He said he hates it. And I could see if you weren't a huge lavender fan, definitely not finding this appetizing. It is different, but it's good. It's got a good mouthfeel to it, a nice body. It's not too, not too crisp. And it does have a little bit of the sourness from the wheat, which, but it actually uh, like blends with the lavender pretty well. It's peculiar, but it's good. It's very good. I don't really have a problem with it. I wouldn't say it's my favorite, but that's also because the lavender is very strong and it's just so different. It really is. I, I'm trying to think if I've ever had a beer that used lavender, and I really don't think I have. This is probably the first one I've seen. Like, I've had coriander. Of course, we've had orange peel. But I don't think I've ever had a lavender beer before. It's pretty good. It's, it's different. But, I mean, if someone handed me one, I'm not going to turn it down for sure. Heck no. <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Ben. Also, a big thank you to Floodgate Games. Floodgate is the publisher of Three Laws, and this is a review copy that they sent to us for us to talk about on the podcast. And so, thank you guys for this. As I said, Ben Canellis is the designer of Three Laws. Game development was Ben Harkins. Illustration is Tristam Rawson. Graphic design is Matt Paquette. Editing was Paige Polinsky. And as I said, published by Floodgate Games. Now, we actually got the honor of playing this at Gen Con last year. We did, and we talked about that, because it was originally going to be called Kill All Humans. Yes. And it was like a very, the theme was very much like kind of campy ripoff of other uh, like sci-fi shows, which was the whole point Ben was going yeah. with the original. Which I really love that theme, but this one is still great, too. So, Del, do you want to kind of talk about the three laws, what that means? So, the three laws of robotics is from an old author by the name of Isaac Asimov. He's not that old. Uh, I mean, when was he around? Well, I think he wrote throughout the 50s through the mid-90s. Okay, so older. I guess that is pretty old. (laughs) It is now. It is now. My bad. I'm sorry. if you've ever seen the movie iRobot with Will Smith, that is based on a work by Isaac Asimov. And the movie iRobot totally diminishes Susan Calvin as a character in the story. Susan Calvin carries the story in the book and in many other books that also go along with iRobot because there's not just one book. There is a whole collection of short stories and longer stories having to do with Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. And Susan Calvin kicks ass in at least a third of them and it makes her into just this little side piece character in the movie, and it made me mad. There is Haley's rant. <laughs> She's a smart lady. She's an intelligent lady, and she is capable of saving the world without Will Smith. There you go. Damn it. You've heard it from Haley. <laughs> Back to the topic at hand. The three laws of robotics. Uh, Asimov wrote that they are the three laws programmed into all robots to ensure that basically it works the best for society. The laws are. The first one is a robot may not injure a human being or, through inaction, allow a human being to come to harm. The second law is a robot must obey orders given to it by human beings except where such orders would conflict with the first law. So, basically, a person cannot have a robot kill another person. Then the third law is a robot must protect its own existence as long as its protecting itself does not conflict with the first or second law. Did you know that Isaac Asimov actually coined the term robotics? That's what you said. I thought that was so cool. It's very interesting. And he also wrote Bicentennial Man, which was that strange Robin Williams movie from like the year 2000. <laughs> I've still never seen that. Oh, so good. The book, I mean, it follows the book pretty well. That's so cool. Know. Okay, so back to the game, the important thing of this episode, Three Laws of Robotics. So Three Laws is a social deduction game. However, what makes Three Laws special is it's a social deduction game where, as the front of the box says, you are deducing your own identity. So, the way the game is going to work is you have three different factions. You have the robots, the androids, and the AI. Those factions have rankings 
from the lowest ranking member at a one to the highest ranking leader of that faction at a five. I really like how the graphic design shows this because, for example, with some of the robots, it starts out with a Tamagotchi is the smallest one, right? And then by the time you get to five, it is a... It's basically that, but it's got arms and legs and is like all built up and giant. It's like a transformer looking thing. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Basically, each level builds in the arts. It's, it's got a cool way of identifying those values, aside from the numbers. But what happens in the game is you shuffle all of those rolls up, so one through five of the three factions. So in a seven and eight player game, you will use one through five, and it does scale down to four. So this is a four to eight player game. At four players, you only use the num- rankings one through four of any two factions. And then it goes all three factions, one through four ranking for five and six player games. And then all three factions, one through five for seven and eight. So it does scale as you go up the number of players. What happens is you shuffle the faction cards and every player is dealt one face down. You hold it kind of like you would in headbands or if you've played Hanabi where you do not view your card and they did a good job on the back of these cards. It says, do not look at the card. So you will be holding what you are in front of you where everyone else at the table can see it, but you cannot. You get to see everyone else's, but they do not see their own. At first, you think, oh, well, that's kind of neat. But as you play it, it really shows itself to be something unique in the world of social deduction games, I think. The way the game is going to work is starting with the first player, you may ask any other player a single question. So if I was holding my card and I look at Haley, and Haley has a four-ranked android, I can say, Haley is my number a five. Nice and simple. I'm just asking if I have a rank of five. Haley then has the option to tell me the truth or to lie. And so if you have a larger group of people, you can kind of start to tell who your liars are and who your truth tellers are because the same person might be asked a question multiple different times. And you can see, you know, if let's say I'm playing with, we're playing Delton, Alan, Gates, and Ben. If Delton tells Ben a lie on his card, and then I notice that every time Alan is asked a question, he's telling the truth. Well, then I'm more likely to believe Alan if he tells me that my card is an android or whatever. Definitely, you can start to read people, yeah, in that manner. So, what happens is you ask somebody a question and they must answer, but it can be a lie or the truth. Then the next person in order may ask a single other person one question, and that goes around until you come back to the start player. At that point, there is no table talk allowed. You are not allowed to discuss anything, to say anything, or to give away any other positions, people's cards, anything like that. Everybody will have a key card. It basically looks like a little encryption card. What happens at that point is each player is trying to get their encryption key card to the highest value of their own faction. So this sounds a little difficult over a podcast, but If there is a five of androids at the table, a three of robots is the highest of the robots at the table, and a three of AI at the table. If you are part of the robots, you want to give your encryption key to the three robot. But if that three robot actually thinks that they are on the androids team who have a five at the table, then when it comes to them, they give every key in front of themselves to who they think is the highest, or they keep it if they think they're the highest. So if that person's a three robot, but they're actually thinking they're on the androids team, they're going to give all those keys to the five of the android. So you really have to pay attention to who people are giving keys to, as well as what you think you are. This is how you're going to earn points in the game. If, at the end of that game, and end of everyone giving their key cards out, if the highest ranking member of your faction is the only member of your faction to hold the key cards or any key card, then your team will all get a point card, which is worth one to three points. And is delved out randomly. Yes, those are delved out randomly. Now, every team can get this correct to where their highest member is the only one on their team holding key cards, which means there can be many cases where every single person at the table is going to get a point card. That can happen and has happened several times. However, 
Being that the point cards are different values, they rank from one, two, to three, and they are delved out randomly, you don't really know who's in the lead until points are tallied up at the end. Because Delton might have three tiles where I only have two, but I might have a two and a three where he has all ones. That's very true. So you still want to strive to keep getting in the lead and stay ahead with the most cards you can. So I feel like this game doesn't allow room for people to feel like they want to give up. Like if somebody looks like they're taking the lead, one, the rounds are really short because, sorry, one, the rounds are really short. And so if you lose one round, you have two or three more you can go through. Two, because you don't know the points of the other persons, you don't really know if you're losing or not. I mean, unless you have no point cards and Delton has seven, then you might have an obvious winner there. But we haven't played a game yet where that's happened. That's very true. Now, getting these point cards, if only the highest ranking member of the faction has one or more of the security keys, one or more, but the only one of your faction, every member earns one. Now, if a player is the only member of their faction, so if there's only one person that's an AI, and they happen to be holding all or a single key or any keys, then they earn an additional card. So you'll get two cards. So if you're the only one and you figured out, you know what, I think I'm the only AI, all you guys can suck it. And then you get to keep an extra card for that. In a five plus player game, uh, if there's members of a scoring faction has more security keys. So like if the androids get three security keys and the robots get four security keys, the robot's entire team will gain one additional. So that's pretty interesting. But on top of all this, on top of the social deduction, there are also laws that come out. So that kind of describes how the game plays. But the reason this game is called Three Laws is because there needs to be some laws that keep these robots, AI, and androids working together and not destroying everyone. Not killing all the humans. Not killing all the humans. So the way that works is after you do that first round and everybody gets their scorecards and that round concludes, you shuffle up the rolls, deal them back out, and then you will now get one law card on the table. In the next round, there's two. And then the final round, there's three laws out active on the table at the same time. So these law cards are really what takes this game and kicks it up a little bit in pretty much every way. But the law cards sort of come in two distinct styles. So they come in the style of what I see as making the game not more complex, but making it more interesting or more difficult. I think those two can kind of go hand in hand there. Right. I agree. The other style is going to be the more lighthearted and more goofy style, but that does have points you can gain based off all of this. So on these law cards, if somebody disobeys the law, Another player can call error and gain a token. Whenever you call someone out for an error, meaning they disobeyed a law card, you receive a token. That token at the end of the round will be turned in for a point card. Now, there can be the situation where the tokens run out, which the rulebook addresses as you take it from the person with the most amount of tokens. So that's kind of an interesting thing. Oh. Because if someone's just calling everybody out for error, the minute somebody else does it, it's actually hurting that person. So that's Uh kind of neat. It's a neat interaction that we have not encountered quite yet. But these cards you want to call people out for. So people have to follow these rules. So the first style I'll talk about are the more fun cards, the more lighthearted. They're going to be kind of silly, like this one, where every player must speak in a robotic monotone. So every player must speak like this exterminate and if somebody stops talking in that you can call error and you can get a token however when you do call error on one of these the card goes away that law does and a new law comes out to replace it so when Haley calls me out for not doing a robot voice then the pneumatic clamps law comes out where the players must keep their non-thumb fingers so your four fingers not your thumb together almost like you're wearing a mitten because you have a robot claw is what your hand's supposed to be. I love how you and I are both doing this right now as if the listeners could see it. (laughs) Right. And then the last one I'll uh, show in this style is players must say data received or data received whenever they are given a card. So if someone deals out a card to you, you must data received or else somebody can call an error on you and they can gain another point card. So those are the little bit goofier ones, but these are the ones that gets the group laughing. These are the ones that people find to be hilarious. 
I'm, I've always talked about, I'm not a huge fan of games that make you do things, but these are so simple and small. And if one person messes up, they go away. That it really makes it fun, especially with a large group. And see, I love games that make you do weird and crazy things. And so this was right up my alley when we played it. It's a perfect middle ground for Delton and I both, though. It has the silliness that I love, but not in a way that makes Delton really uncomfortable. Very true. Very true. The other style is the style that I said almost makes it more, not complex, but almost more complex, a little more difficult to make decisions, give answers, and things like that. This style influences everything you do at the table. So in this one, players cannot ask a question or query the highest ranking player they see. So you cannot ask if there's a five at the table, you can't ask them a question. So that's kind of tough. Uh, this one I like. Players cannot say robot, android, or AI. So you would have to say, am I the same faction as Haley? That's a way you could phrase that question. These are my favorite rules because they make you think about how you're asking the question. Players cannot say numbers is another good one. Queries must be five words or less. And then possibly my favorite is players must answer queries by making a beep sound once for yes, two for no, or they can say does not compute. Beep. The reason beep, I beep. love these rules, as that last one says, you now have to ask a yes or no question. If you can't say numbers, if you can only use five words, it changes how you're going to approach those questions. And changes the information that you get sometimes. Exactly. And to me, those are the cards that really shine. No, those aren't the cards that are going to get a laugh out of people, except for maybe the beep. The, the beep beep will. Beep beep. Definitely. Does not compute. That stuff. It's always fun. But I think the real winning element of those is that it changes questions, it changes answers, and it develops how you have to approach the game. And since that changes every game because you deal these cards out, I think it just does a really good job of that. Now, one thing I do enjoy about this game is the more you play it, the more you learn that you can phrase your questions in such a way that you can give out info or receive more info. So, for example, I can, instead of asking if I was playing with Brian and I say, Brian, Am I the same faction as Haley? Okay, that's nice and simple. Then Haley might know that we're on the same team if Brian tells the truth. However, if I say, Brian, am I the same faction as Haley and yourself? Well, now I have said that Brian and Haley are the same, which is disclosing information, possibly true, possibly false, to Brian. Brian then has to answer and consider now what I've told him that uh, him and Haley are matching. And so once you learn that these questions can start tying together, I feel like this game really starts to shine even more. And the more players you have, the more information you have to keep hold yes. of. It makes it more challenging as well. It's more fun because you have people calling each other out. The rounds take longer. And so there's more chance for error. Definitely. Definitely. The errors are always a lot of fun. But really, I enjoy the game. I liked it when we first played it at Gen Con. We, played, we actually yep. talked about did we talk about we it? We talked about it on the, the post-Gen Con episode last year. Yeah, we like briefly talked about it Yes, a little bit. But now that it's out and about, I can say I really enjoy the game. I have a lot of fun. It has the social deduction part. It has the goofiness that I know and love. It has cute graphic design. Plus, it has a very nerdy reference that I, I enjoy Asimov and have for years. Definitely. So. It's definitely a game that I say we will recommend. It, uh, it's also very affordable. It's like $15. And if you remember from like our episode two, we mm -hmm. talked about uh, games you can put in your purse. Oh, like this super is small. The, this is the perfect purse game. And yeah. you, can, you can bust this out at the play a couple of rounds at dinner. You yep. can bring this to a family gathering. And I think that everybody's going to like it. Definitely. Uh, in terms of changing the game a little to yourself, if you want to house rule it, if you don't like the goofy cards for laws, just take them out. If you don't like the more serious cards, you can just take some of those out. And keep all the goofy ones in. Uh, there are three cards that come in the box that they don't throw in automatically. They recommend them for advanced players. All three of them are the same thing except for the faction changes, and it is you may not tell the truth to robots, Android, or AI. So each card is you can't tell robots the truth, you can't tell AI the truth, can't tell Androids the truth. That makes it very difficult and very easy to spot a liar, but also not because it makes everybody stop and think. A little. Because you can still lie to the others as well. But they can call error. They can call it. Well, no. Think about that. Like, it doesn't say you can only 
lie to. No, it, it says you must. Oh, you must not. You cannot tell the truth. I know, but it's not saying you. It's only you. You can't only tell the truth to androids. Yeah. You can also still lie to the others. Yes, you can. Yeah. Sorry, so, I was misunderstanding. Yeah. So it makes it even more sticky and complicated because if you have a feeling that someone's lying to you, you're like, oh, snap. Am I? Exactly. <laughs> In terms of negatives, I think the only one that I've encountered, and I've had friends uh, say the same for low player counts, I feel like it mainly happens with low player counts, is the point cards being one through three, that can be a giant gap when someone's doing really well and has six or seven cards and you've only got three and then you win. It kind of feels bad for that player that's been doing really well, figuring it out, working the table, and then they still lose. But I've noticed that that's mainly with low player counts, like especially at four. I do think the game shines at higher counts and I think maybe at four, an easy fix would just be only use one and two point cards. Don't use the right. three. But we have not experimented with that. I've been trying to play it by the book as much as possible. Um, that's my only kind of, not really complaint, the only thing that I've noticed or have heard people talk about. But aside from that, love the game. Definitely should grab it. Yes, definitely do. So thank you again to Floodgate Games and Mr. Ben Canellis for designing this game because we have very much enjoyed it and it's one that definitely is sticking around to our shelves. Busting it out with Mac and Cass. Now that we've got through that, let's move to the topic. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. But first, let's drink. So for the second beer, this is another one that Sir Ben Canellis gave us. It is also from Sibling Revelry Brewing. This is the IPA, India Pale Ale. This beer is 6.5% alcohol by volume at a 60 IBU. It says floral and tropical with hints of pine, full flavor, and a balanced finish. It is made with Pilsner and Munich malts and hops. It has Chinook, Bitter Gold, Comet, Columbus, Simcoe, and Equinox. What? Has the, Equinox? Equinox hops. I kind of, okay, I kind of spaced out for a second there, yeah. and then I came back to you saying it had Equinox in the ingredients, and I was like, that doesn't make any sense. So it has a nice color. It's got a tiny bit of amber to it. Like a a little bit of a golden, not necessarily just that yellow. Nice color. Ooh, a nice earthy hop smell. It doesn't have any citra in it, so it doesn't have the like tangerine grapefruit smell. Sorry, I thought we were drinking already. Hmm. Ooh, I can kind of see, yeah, there's some earthiness in there. It mentioned pine. I don't quite pick that up yet. It's like if dirt was really delicious. Hmm. Ooh, it's definitely a more tame approach to an IPA. It's got a... It's got a more full mouthfeel than most IPAs that kind of hit in yeah. one area. But like I said, it has the, it's like moss on the back of your tongue. Like that, whenever yeah, you that smell earthy. moss. That's what yeah, it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm, that's very good. I didn't mean that this tastes like dirt. It's like, <laughs> like it tastes like good dirt. Does that make sense? We've talked about good dirt before. Good dirt. Like whenever you get mushrooms and it has a little bit of dirt left on it. Gross. You're like, oh, there's dirt on this, but it kind of tastes good. I, I think you're making it worse. I'm sorry. I think you're making it worse. I like this beer. I like dirt. Hey, I ate a worm and like a who knows how old pretzel <laughs> and some deviled ham just on a plate with a fork. This is a very good IPA. It's very tame compared to others. It almost tastes like it would be a double because it's well balanced. The The, the hops don't just punch you in the face, but I think right. it's because there's no citra. There's not a lot of that grapefruity hop. They took it a different direction. And like it starts off smooth, then it gets hoppy and dirty. And then it tapers off. I like when you hit that finish on it, that the front of your tongue lingers with the hop flavor as it drifts back and you finish the swallow. Like, it's really good. There are so like many that. that's what she said jokes I'm that just I have hoping not made you this don't podcast. Make them. I've been trying real hard to be a good kid. <laughs> Thank but you. man, you said full body feel earlier. I was like, that's what she said in my head, but I did not say it out loud. That's fine. Very good beer, though. So definitely check out Sibling Revelry Brewing from Westlake, Ohio. Thank you, Ben. Thank you, Ben. So the topic for today is going to be lying in games. More specifically, it's going to be how you approach the strategy of lying in a game. Because if you straight out of the gate just start lying your ass off to everybody, eh, I don't know if that's going to work out well, unless you're fantastic at it. 
which I don't think I'm a very good liar. You're not to me for the most part. So I tried to paint a picture of Hershey for Delton. We had this like pop your pet thing at the local paint and palette studio in Edmond. And I had submitted a picture of Hershey to paint, but I told Delton I had submitted a picture of Penny. And I was texting Allison, Malt House Games number one fan, the one night, and I said, hey, I'm going to paint Hershey. And then she started texting me about Game of Thrones, and Delton's like, what'd you say about Game of Thrones? So I just handed my phone over, like my life flashed before my eyes. I was like, no, I cannot, I don't know why, I, I just cannot keep a secret from Delton. Whether it is telling him or accidentally just, here's my phone, reveal all my secrets. You can look through it and just reveal everything. I'm so bad at keeping secrets and lying to Delton. To be fair, the surprise was still a surprise. It was just a surprise in text form rather than seeing the painting. Yeah, I was so, so sad. You know, it works out. But when it comes to lying games, I feel like I'm still not a very good liar. I can, as we've talked about in previous episodes, I can yep. pick out people's tells and I can pick out liars very well. But I'm not very good at lying myself. And I'm really, here's a challenge to the people we play games with. Can you please tell me what my tell is? Like, can you figure it out and let me know? Because I'd really appreciate that. But it's like when we played One Night Ultimate Werewolf, the Werewolf in the Dark yeah. at the, the Boga, Boga Gaming Retreat. Retreat. I was the werewolf once, and for like the rest of the night, everyone knew I was the werewolf when I wasn't. But they also found out that I was the werewolf because apparently I'm really bad at telling stories and coming up with alibis. So yep. if I ever am like a murder suspect, I will be going to prison. So it was nice knowing you. <laughs> Most likely. <laughs> yeah, lying in games is difficult because, I mean, if one person, I've always said I'm very, very bad at lying in games. And if one person calls me out, I get giggly and I smile. And then I have to basically utilize that to my advantage if I'm the bad guy. But if I'm the good guy, it just throws guilt all on me. And it's basically like, well, color me guilty. So essentially what happens <laughs> and it just I can't I can't recover from it for some reason if someone accuses me even if I'm good I'm gonna look like I'm bad so I'm always a prime target for the bad guys I think what I try to do it's really stupid but I try to do like a method acting kind of thing whenever I have to lie like I try to tell myself it's the truth get into the character get into the character this is life it's kind of like in community theater uh you know if you've pretend like you're saying someone else's roles it might not come off as genuine but if you really try to put yourself in the character's position and emotion not really emotional state but like try to empathize what the character is going through you're more likely to say it and so like whenever i lie i try really hard to convince myself that it is the truth and what i am saying is valid and real and makes sense and have confidence and i don't know if it always works but i try i'm just always really bad at it that's the problem. I'm just bad at lying. That's it. But lying in these games does have strategy behind it. There is ways you have to approach it. So in Three Laws, when you lie to somebody, the issue is everyone around the table knows that you're lying to them. That's kind of the unique twist, because since you don't know your own role, but everyone else's roles are revealed to you, if you lie to somebody, that person can see the lie that you're creating. Now, given yes, you're not supposed to be like, ah, you're lying to them. You're not supposed to call that out. But people know. And it paints you as the liar. And so it's really hard to figure out kind of how to approach it with this game. This game is unique in that aspect. But in a game like Werewolf, you have to be sprinkling in lies with the truth. That's how I approach it. If I'm the troublemaker, I will say that I'm the troublemaker. However, I probably am going to lie about who I swapped to get people to start talking. And now, given I'm talking about One Night Ultimate Werewolf, because I've not played normal werewolf aside from Werewolf in the Dark, but I always try to sprinkle the truth, or sprinkle my truth with lies. I found that works for me in that game, and I try to use that in a lot of games, like uh, Avalon and things. It doesn't work as well, but that's one way to approach lying in some of these games. That makes sense. He'll kind of sprinkle it in to keep them guessing. Well, that was true, but is that true? I don't know. And it's also to get people to reveal things. Because if you say you were the troublemaker and you switched two people and one of those people was the werewolf, they'll go, oh, well, they're a werewolf now. I was a werewolf before. But then I can go, well, okay, I didn't really switch you two. I actually switched these two. And then that werewolf's now like, oh, shit. Egad. <laughs> 
And so it kind of works in One Night Ultimate. That might be something I have to try because my whole method acting thing doesn't really pan out for me very well. But then again, I always play my games with you as well. It's difficult to lie to you. It's, it's really not. I think lying in games really adds a layer of complexity to them too. It's different than things like trader mechanics. Trader mechanics, technically, you're lying because you're working against the team and so on and so forth. But if you're actually verbally having to lie and keep a story straight throughout the entire game, not only are you trying to do your strategy and win the game, but you're also trying to make sure you can keep your story straight based on the information you tell everybody. And so I really like that extra layer of complexity adds to it. It's more of the human element rather than the mechanical element, but I enjoy it. And I think that's one thing when it comes to, uh, when it comes to lying, like you said, it adds a human element. Those games are the ones that I have the hardest time dealing with. I really do. And so playing something like One Night Ultimate Werewolf or playing something like Avalon where your discussion and your actions is dictating what people are doing and you can get called out from that human interaction, sometimes I favor the games that the mechanics are how you lie. And so, for example, uh, Ben Canellis, who designed Three Laws, also has a game called Bitten, like B-I-T-T-E-N, Bitten. And Which we reviewed in an earlier episode, and you should also pick up. We did. We talked about Bitten. We liked Bitten a lot, especially, I feel like Bitten, I, talked, I think we talked about, I really enjoyed it for the lower player counts. I thought it worked so well at lower player counts that it kind of won out over everything else. I like it, though, because it's a mechanical lying game. You're lying and trying to deceive people by the cards you're playing down at these locations. And for me, those games are easier to approach and easier to try and deceive people. However. It's almost not lying when you're just deceiving. There's a difference there where social deduction almost doesn't fit. It's more like social deception. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It's a little bit of a twist on it, but I find those to be easier to grasp, easier to handle because it takes the human element out. Something that's a good blend of the two is like Sheriff of Nottingham. Yeah, that is. You're packing up your goods and you're giving them to the person saying, I'm bringing some apples into the city. And he has to take the way you say it, the way you look, your past record of what you've done, and try to decide if he's going to let you in or search your pack and risk having to pay you. And so it's kind of a nice blend of you're using cards to deceive them, but you're also having the human element involved. It's kind of a, a, a mixture of the two. And in that one, I found the best strategy is just never lie. Just never lie. And somebody's always going to think you're lying, and you can just tell the truth and get good cards in. And then pretty soon they'll realize that you always tell the truth and then you start lying toward the end. And it's like, you can swing it. My best strategy is to never play with you and Brian and that together again because you both team up against me and try and make me lose. <laughs> we did that. Yeah, you did. We I definitely... know. I was there. <laughs> we need to try the expansion to Sheriff of Nottingham, but that's, that's a game expansion for another time. So all these different types of lying games or deception in games and deduction in games and the different ways that we can lie, they all flow so well in the game world. And I feel like it's a super, super popular topic. I mean, even again, mechanical lying, two rooms and a boom, the way they people play that game is they learn to lie through the mechanics of the game. And it's very interesting. And you can work all of these sort of in your favor. But I guess the real question is, which ones are we best at? And now, join us for a Malthouse Games podcast special, Pint Size Question. So the question for this episode is what lying or deception or deduction game do you think that you're the best at? This is kind of a tough one because I always want to think I'm good at things and I'm not. I have learned, I think I'm best at coup which is kind of a, you know, it's a hidden roll game, which hidden roll almost always has some layer of deception or lying in it, and coup does. But coup is so quick, and you play so many rounds that it's one of those games where I can take when people call me out for lying and I get giggly, I can start to turn it around because you usually play several games in a row. So I'm going to say coup for my answer. I'm going to say BS. Oh, just classic bullshit. Classic bullshit. I played that at church camp a lot as a kid, and I got really good at it. I got really good at manipulating eye contact to where I... Because, you know, whenever you 
you want to seem trustworthy, you want to give more eye contact, but there's a fine line between giving more eye contact to remain trustworthy and like staring down your opponent like, I'm trying to give you good eye contact. Yeah. And I feel like as a kid, I was very good at playing bullshit. That's awesome. I have not played that in a long time, but it's always fun. And it, it's like the classic line game, pretty much. Well, I think that that is going to wrap this episode up. First, a big shout out to our Patreon backers. Thank you, Allison. Thank you, Alan. And thank you, Jesse and Catherine, for backing us on Patreon. You get a shout out. You get a shout out. You get a shout out. Everyone gets a shout out. If you would like to be like them and support us in any way, you can always find us on patreon.com slash malthousegames. Or if you just want to do a one-time donation, we do have podpledge.com slash malthousegames. We use those donations to up our audio quality by getting new microphones, new cables, I got my mixing board, and we're slowly accumulating things to where pretty soon it's going to be the best we can make it without spending a fortune. <laughs> it, it sure beats Kyle Kinane's podcast. I love Kyle oh, yeah. Kinane. I love his Boogie Monster podcast, but my God, like the first 10 episodes sound like they were recorded on an iPhone underwater. That sounds right. <laughs> so if you want to get a hold of us in any way on social media, you can find us at Malthouse Games. M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S. You can email anything you want us to talk about on the show, a question to answer, a topic to cover, a game to look at, contact at malthousegames.com. You can find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K, and you can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-E-K. We want to give one last shout out again to Floodgate Games. Thank you for the review copy of Three Laws of Robotics. Check it out at your local game store. If they don't have it, request that they order it because it's a very fun game and I think it's going to fit a lot of groups. I think that that covers everything we need to cover. Until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. We'll see you folks later. Goodbye. Bye.